0: Hey guys, this is Pastor Marcus Kelly over at the Exciting Grace Baptist Church. Thank you so much for checking out this message, man. It's called uh, Jesus Freaks or Jesus Fakes. You know, that the old DC Talk song goes, you know, what will people think when they find out that I'm a Jesus freak? But I believe that one of the problems and for many people who claim the name of Christ is, you know, what are they going to do when they find out that I'm actually a Uh, Our lives indicate that we're not truly redeemed people. We don't care about the things of God, the people of God, the worship of God, the purpose of God. And uh, and we need to be aware of that. I think you'll be greatly blessed by checking out this message. Don't forget to like and share and subscribe and all of that. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Come on, come on. Take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll be over in verse 28 in a few minutes. We're we're going to be in John chapter number 8. Now, our sermon title, you can see that up there, Jesus Freak or Jesus Fake. Now, uh, how many of you have heard that song? It's an old song by DC Talk called Jesus Freak. Freak, slip your hand. Up. All right, woo woo. And um, and that was really, as far as me, that was when that song. First time I heard that song was when I really realized that Christian music could be in all different kinds of genres. Right? Kind of up to that point, in my life Christian music was in the hymnal that we sang out of every Sunday. That really kind of opened my eyes and and to all different styles of Christian. Uh, music. I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to listen to pagan music, okay? Whatever you like, there's a good Christian version of it. But listen to me. And so uh, do you remember the chorus of that song, Jesus Freak? And uh, my favorite, there's a verse in there that talks about John the Baptist being martyred. Love that. But I love that. I love that martyrdom. Martyrdom's awesome. Love it. Can't get enough. Read about John the Baptist being beheaded every night before I go to bed. It's the best. It's a thrill. I'm sorry. We're getting off track 11 o'clock. Listen, so what happens is, uh, when, when you listen to that song in that chorus, it says, what would people think if they knew I, that I was a Jesus freak? What would people do if they found out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There's no hiding the truth or something like that, right? Jesus freak. Now, the truth is, for some of you this morning, you're here right now, we would have to change a few words of that chorus to be true in your life. It would go something like this. What would people think if they knew that I was a Jesus fake? What would people do if they knew that it was true? I really do care if they label me a Jesus fake. There's no hiding the truth. The truth is, when we're being real with God or fake with God, there's no hiding the truth. There's evidence, there's proof. See, as God has called Grace Baptist Church to be a church that reaches West Tennessee, America and the world. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We have to be a church where everyone is what, church? Welcome, where everyone is needed, and where every life is changed. And that last part is what we're going to talk about this morning. Because the great, the danger is that you could come and you could sing the song, watch Scott break his guitar strings, right? And you could enjoy the service, but you could leave not change. Matter of fact, some people, there are simply playing the Christian game. Instead of being a Jesus freak, you're a Jesus fake and you know it. Nobody else knows it because you put on the mask and you, you look nice, you come to church, you say the right things, you hang out with the right people and you, you act the right way, that's socially acceptable in your circle. But the truth is you're fake and you know it. You haven't really surrendered your life to Christ. The New Testament makes it really clear that the church has to be about making disciples. Has to be about making disciples. But the sad thing is there are people, men and women, boys and girls, who believe that they're a part of the family of God, that they believe that they're of the Christian faith and they're not. They really are probably confident that if something were to happen, they'd go to heaven. And in fact, they wouldn't. We have to examine ourselves. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he said, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, I want you you to hear this on the front end. Listen to me. My goal this morning is 100% not to get anybody in here to doubt their salvation. My goal this morning is not to get you to doubt your salvation. My goal, just like the Apostle Paul's goal when he wrote that, my goal is to get you to be certain of your salvation. I want you to be 100% certain that you know, that you know, that you have been saved. Now, how can we know that I'm a Jesus freak and not a Jesus fake? How can I know? Well, we have to compare our actions and take that and compare it to the commands in God's word. Right? We have to examine ourselves, examine our faith, our actions, our beliefs, and see if they really match up with Scripture. Or are we following some moral code that we made up ourselves and we're following some Jesus that only exists in our imagination and is not found in the Word of God? We have to examine ourselves. And what we're talking about, being a Jesus, is being a disciple. What is a disciple? Take some notes. Good disciples take notes. Take some notes. And write this down. Go to this next slide. A disciple is a follower, a worshiper, an imitator of Jesus. That's what a disciple is, a follower, a worshiper, an imitator of Jesus. A disciple isn't somebody that's learned some facts about Jesus. A disciple is someone who lives out what Jesus said. Now, in our text this morning, in John chapter 8, Jesus is having this ongoing conversation about what it means to be a real, true, for real, show enough disciple. Look with it in John 8, verse 28. Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants. We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free. What church? Indeed. Now that word indeed is an important word. And what you need to understand when it says indeed, what that word means is truly, really. Right? So you'll be a son, a true son, a real son, a true disciple, a real disciple. Jesus says you are really and truly my disciple if you abide in my word. That's what he says. And with these words, Jesus helps us to see the world is not just divided, lost, and saved. Right? Right? which it is, it really is divided into two, but we can add a subcategory to it. We can do it like this. They're the true disciples. They're lost people. And then there's fake disciples, fake disciples. And what does Jesus tell us about how can we tell real disciples apart from fake disciples? By how they live their life, by how they live their life. That's what the word of God teaches us. Look at this next slide. Jesus doesn't believe. Every, I'm sorry. I don't. Is this a sentence? I've had to look at this all morning and realize not as bright as I think I am. Jesus doesn't believe everyone who says they believe actually believe. Beliefs? Would that make it better, teachers? Help a brother out. All right. What, what, I, what I tried to say on that slide is this: Jesus doesn't believe that everyone who says they believe actually believes. He's saying everybody who claims the name of Christ aren't. A, when you, when we think, how can Christians act like that? They don't they don't. Jesus says, if you're really truly my disciple, you'll abide in my word. And Jesus says, all belief isn't real. And what he does here, he gives us some insight into what it looks like to truly, really, indeed be a disciple. Write this down. Real discipleship has one way that's correct belief in Jesus. Correct belief. See, because you can't just believe whatever you want to about Jesus. And you got to believe the right way. I know that sounds strange, but you can't believe whatever you want to believe. I saw some, uh, some research that came out the last couple of weeks, and it's like evangelical Christians think all kinds of nonsense, that Jesus isn't the Son of God, that he wasn't sinless, and that you've got to add some works to be saved. And, all sudden, and, and In other words, these people that identified as evangelical Christians aren't. Amen. Aren't. You have to believe in the Jesus that's revealed to us in the Word of God, not one that you make up. It has to be the real Deal. Look at it in John chapter 8 verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Talk about Jesus. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Becoming a disciple starts the same way for everybody. It starts with belief. Matter of fact, look at John 20, verse 31. The, uh, John, the disciple John's like, I wrote this whole book. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He said, I wrote this whole book of John so that you would believe in Jesus. Now, but here's where you got to really draw close. You've got to pay attention. Belief in in scripture, in the New Testament, isn't the same thing we think of as belief, right? It's more than a head knowledge. It's this foundation of faith where you believe, where you trust, right? You're placing your faith in these facts. It's not good enough just to get it in your head. It has to make its way to your heart. We think of it as this mental exercise, you know, right? Well, you know, do you believe Jesus was a real person? Well, yes, well, you're saved. No, it takes more than mental knowledge. You do believe he died on the cross. Yes. I believe a man named Jesus died on a cross. Well, you're saved. No, it doesn't work like that. Right? The Bible says that demons know that the Bible says demons know that. And they believe that Jesus was a sinless son of God, that he died for our sins, but yet they're eternally separated from God. Look at this next slide. What God demands is more than a mind full of facts. He wants a heart full of faith. Right? It's having faith and belief in the right Jesus, the right way. Biblical faith is an act of the will to trust, depend, or to rely upon. True disciples, real disciples, disciples indeed, are saved from the penalty of their sin by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for their salvation. We say it all the time. See, all the religions in the world say the same thing. All of them. You got to do something to be approved by God. The New Testament Christianity says God has done everything necessary for you to be approved by God. You just have to trust him, depend on him for it, place your faith in him. See, when you see God, when you see Jesus for who he is, you start to see things differently. A different perspective. Look at this next slide. Who remembers this movie, The Sixth Sense? Remember, remember that movie? Now, spoiler alert. You have had 20 years to watch this movie. Don't leave here like preachers are telling them, that's your fault. Okay? a matter of fact, it's been this movie so old, Bruce Willis had hair. Look at it. That's how old this movie is. Now, it's also so old, I should have thought about it for in my months. I don't remember if this movie is appropriate or not. You Google it, okay? Wikipedia it. Don't go home and watch this and be like, Brother Marcus, I barely remember it, okay? It was 20 years ago. I was much less sanctified then than I am now. Amen, Scott? But listen, listen. The story in this movie, the Sixth Sense, um, Bruce Willis's character is a psychiatrist, and, uh, he's go, I think he goes out to eat with his wife. And then one of his patients or former patients shoots him in the stomach. You remember this boom shoots him in the stomach. He goes in the hospital, takes a long time to recover. He comes out and he takes the case of this little boy. He begins counseling this little boy that does what? I see dead people, right? He sees dead people. And so at first Bruce Willis, we should call him Bruce Willis, not the character. Let's call him Bruce. So Bruce Willis at first is like, thinks this kid is Deranged. You know, just trying to help him, But eventually Bruce Willis starts to believe the little boy that he sees dead people, right? And so Bruce and begins to counsel him. He tells them, hey, why don't you maybe you need to let these people know that they're dead. And then that way they can move on in peace. Does that make sense? Like they can move on in peace. And so the boy begins to do that. But then at the very end, it's like where the whole plot twist happens. You find out Bruce Willis is dead too. Okay, he's been dead the whole movie. Ever since he got shot, he's been dead, right? All alone, Bruce Willis, this character, thought he was alive, but he was dead, right? All over the world right now, all over our community, we've got people without Jesus who think they're alive, but they're dead, dead. They think they're alive, but they're not. They're dead. Now, I don't mean non-existence. I want you to understand something. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, everyone who's ever been born will live forever. Somewhere. Right? I'm not talking about death uh, and, or non-existence. I'm talking about spiritual death. Being separated from God. Spiritual death is an existence outside of the life and the will of God. Outside of His touch, His joy, His love, His beauty, His mercy, His compassion, His grace. And life, living life here, separated from the love of God right? It's like like living in hell. And what happens is you keep saying no to Jesus. This existence that to you, for some reason, seems like hell on earth. Someday will be hell in eternity. And you will truly and finally and forever be separated from God. And much of that time, you've deceived yourself and told yourself, I'm alive. When the truth is you are spiritually dead in your sins. How does a person enter a relationship with Jesus and become a disciple? Become a Jesus freak and not a Jesus fake by truly believing in Jesus, his saving work at Calvary on your behalf, his perfect life, his substitutionary death, the resurrection from the dead, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save you and forgive you of your sins. That's how you become a disciple. A real disciple has a correct belief in and about Jesus. Number two, write this down. What's the evidence? Obedience. Obedience. Now, I know that seems like a dirty word in Baptist life these days. Obedience. How do I know that I'm a disciple of Jesus? When I obey him, I desire to obey him. Look at verse 31. Don't take my words for it. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. What do we say? Indeed, you're really my disciples. You're truly my disciples. You're my disciples indeed. When? When you abide in my word. That means to abide, to remain, to stay in, to be faithful in, right? He's talking about obedience. Jesus says, if you're faithful and your desire is to live out the commands of scripture, you know that you're his true disciple. I'm convinced that too often in America, we've changed the, the gospel, the heart of the message of all of the word of God. Instead of Jesus' primary purpose to be to save and redeem us from our sin for his glory. Instead, we, we think that Jesus came to give us a better life, an easier life, a healthier life, a longer life right? Trust Jesus. You'll have a longer life. Become a Christian and see how Jesus will serve you. The only thing wrong with that is it just ain't so. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do what? For his good pleasure. Listen, you come to Christ, you allow him to forgive you of your sins. I'm going to be honest. I make no bones about it. You will have a better life. I'm not ashamed of that. That's not some prosperity gospel. Name it and claim it. Mumbo jumbo. Mumbo jumbo. Anyway, that's not what it is. What is it? I believe the Christian life is the best life you could ever live. How could it, you know, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the easier life, right? But it probably will be the easier life. It's no longer you, it's you and him, right? And it may not be a healthier life, but if you've, you know, you walk with Jesus, you follow Christ. He'll lead you to a healthier lifestyle probably than the world. I mean, I admit we have potlucks. And Lord willing, we'll get back to those. Amen? Amen? And honestly, being a Christ follower probably would lead to a longer life, more than likely. I mean, these are byproducts, but, and these, aren't, these, are principles, but these aren't promises in God's word. Trust Christ and you're going to live to be 110. That's not what it's about. The evidence of true salvation isn't revealed in how Jesus serves you. It's revealed in how you desire to serve Jesus. It's your new desire to please him and to serve him, to bless God, serve God, to obey God, bring glory to God, honor God. Look at this next slide. I can't believe she acts like that. Why would she act like that? Because that's who she is. Your beliefs determine your behavior. I can't believe he did that. Well, that's just who he is. Your theology will lead to your biography. What you believe is why you do what you do. What you believe is why you don't do some things that you don't do. Your theology leads to your biography. Your theology one day is leading to your obituary. If it's been, a, let me just use it. If it's been 20 years since somebody's walked with Jesus and served you, loved Jesus, and, and really had any kind of a witness for Jesus, it's been 20 years, there's no obvious fruit that the Spirit dwells in them, that person probably isn't saved. Maybe, maybe, most likely not. You might, this, it's not on the slide, it's not in your notes, you might want to write this down. We live down to or up to what we really believe we live down to or up to what we really believe often we say we believe one thing when we do something else why is that because we don't really believe what we're saying that we believe we live up to or down to what we really Believe. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, now about this, we know that we know him. How? If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Oh, but, but you're different. You've got a, one of these special relationships with Jesus that nobody else has, to where you could care less about keeping his commandments. Right? What he says is, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you obedience is the evidence that you're a disciple of jesus disobedience is evidence that you're again we're not talking about perfection but you love god believe the gospel you follow jesus listen obedience never produces salvation this side hear me say amen all right your turn obedience never produces salvation say amen Amen. y'all a lot better than they are so i'm just i'm just gonna preach over here the rest of time No, you regret that, don't you? Obedience never leads to salvation. But let me make you another promise. Salvation leads to obedience. Salvation leads to obedience. Where there's no obedience, no desire to to obey Christ, the Word of God, right, the things that God has revealed to you. There's no desire to really walk with Jesus. There's no Jesus. There's just not. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Jesus freak or Jesus fake. Salvation is a gift of God received by faith alone. Through his grace, obey. write this down. Look at this. What I'm saying is this. Obeying Jesus is evidence that you're following Jesus. And I know sometimes there's people that we care about and we love deeply, and we try to make excuses for them, and we hope that their salvation experience was genuine. But for some people, everything about their life is telling us the opposite. Obeying Jesus is the evidence that I'm following Jesus. Only those who desire to obey Christ are authentic, real, indeed kind of disciples. That's what the Word of God says. I mean, think about this for a moment. If if you take your child, say you got a child and they're young and you're going to hike through the woods and you're like, hey, follow me, stay tight, right? Stay behind me, stay with me, don't wander off, stay behind me, right? We're going to go through these woods, stay right here. And you take off and you're walking and you turn around, boom, that child is gone, going their own way, their own direction, cutting through the woods without you. Let me ask you a question. Are they obeying you? Are they following you? That's what we look like when we do not obey Christ. It's difficult to say that we're followers of Jesus. when We never go where he's leading. It's difficult to say that we're obeying Jesus when we never follow his leadership. The evidence is our obedience. Anytime, listen, sometimes I'll talk to a parent and they'll be like, you know. You know, they have an adult child. An adult child. Yeah, an adult child. I used the right word. I didn't even mean to. They've got an adult child that their life is just falling apart. Everything's a mess. No obvious signs of the Spirit of God working and moving in their life. And they're like, preacher, I don't understand. I remember when she was eight years old and she went the Nile, she got baptized. She told everybody in second grade about Jesus. And she was so excited about the things of God. And hopefully, hopefully that child really is saved. But here's what I want, here's what I'm trying to explain to you anytime you got to point backwards to some event way in the past as some kind of evidence or fruit of your salvation it is a very serious red flag if you've got to point back at something that happened in your life 20 years ago well, I know I'm saved because I walked the aisle, shook the hand, got dunked, did the thing, and I told my second grade class about Jesus, but you've, not walked, uh, you've only walked in the flesh, you've not walked in the Spirit, you've not followed after Christ, you've not obeyed Him, you've not followed Him. Since then, it is very unlikely that you had a real salvation experience with God. It's just unlikely. Anytime someone has to point backwards for validity, it's an issue. Jesus is saying that the evidence you belong to him should be front and center in your life. Right now, the proof is that you desire. Again, we're not talking about perfection. I hope you hear that. We're not talking about perfection. But the desire to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, has to be there. Now, what we're talking about is loving obedience. Write this down. We talk about this. What is loving obedience? It's not legalism. Now, we talk about this on Wednesday night. We just finished up a Bible study through Galatians a couple weeks ago, and we've, we talked about this very subject on Wednesday night. All the true, real disciples come to church on Wednesday night. I don't know if you know that. And so, and so just Wednesday night, identify yourself. All right. And so, I'm kidding. Kind of sort of made me know. All right. I'm, I am kidding. It's not legalism. And if you've heard any hint of legalism in anything that I said today, I want you to know basically all I've done is quote Jesus. Why does legalism... Legalism is anytime I try to help God save me, right? Jesus did 90% of it, but I'm going to pull us across that 10% line, me and Jesus. It's anytime I do anything to try to win the approval of God. That's legalism. Anytime where I think my religion, my ritual, my whatever can somehow put me in a right relationship with God. If we trust in Christ plus our own obedience, we've missed it altogether. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this may seem to you contrary to everything we've talked about this morning, but it's not. And it may be the most important thing you hear. Look at this next slide. God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. Don't, don't misunderstand anything I've said this morning. God's joy, his pleasure for you is not based on anything that you do for him. It never has been, it never will be. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's love. The word of God is clear. He says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you're the biggest, ugliest, nastiest, grossest, most sickest sinner, walking God's green earth, he loved you so much that he died for you. There's nothing that you can do. You cannot perform to earn God's pleasure. That's not what we're talking about. We're saved by what? Grace through faith. But we've been saved by grace through faith for what? To do good works which God has prepared. Those good works are not a requirement for salvation, but it's evidence. Does that make sense? It's evidence. Loving obedience to Jesus is not legalism. Number two, write this down. It's also not license. We completely reject license. Now, what is license? It's any time that we say, well, you know, you know, it's this kind of scenario. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a Baptist over there and we believe once saved, always saved. So I went down there and I got done and I done got saved. So now I go do anything I want to. Right, I can live any way I want to. <coughs> I don't know, if you talk like that, quit. <coughs> it hurts my throat to mock you. Listen, Here's the thing, Here's the, listen to me, because we're saved by grace, because we're securing our salvation, well, I believe with all of my heart, once saved, always saved, doesn't mean that once saved, always saved, that I'm going to go run out and live a life of sin. The person who's been once saved, always saved, is not going to desire to live in just sin to embarrass God, they're going to desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. Amen. He gives you a new heart, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. This whole attitude, man, I got my ticket punched. That somehow freedom in Christ becomes a license to sin. That's foreign to the gospel. Right? We say, well, since God made me a saint, I'm going to go out here and live like the devil. A born-again Christian cannot openly, constantly, continuously live and practice sin without conviction and remorse. John eight thirty four says, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, it doesn't translate well in, in English, but that word commits there, it's this idea of practicing sin, continuing in sin, right? Sending, it's not like you commit a sin, this is a, 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 a lifestyle of sinning. It says you're a slave to sin. Someone who continues in her sin and does not feel a need or a desire, or they, don't feel the need to, they don't feel any remorse, they don't feel the need to repent. He's saying you're a slave to sin and you are not saved. That's what he's saying. A person who is a real disciple will not be sinless. Oh, let me say that again. A person who's a real disciple will not be sinless. I hope you don't hear that. But the pattern of their life, listen, as you walk with Jesus, as you talk with Jesus, and as you spend time in his word, you spend time in prayer, and you're going along, what should be happening in your life is this process called sanctification. And as you're walking along in life, as you walk with him longer and more and more intimately, you draw closer to Christ, there should be this decreasing desire for sin and an increasing desire for his righteousness. So the longer I walk with him, I serve him, and I love him, and I draw closer to him, my desire for the sinful things should decrease, and my desire for his righteousness in my life should increase. We're not talking about perfection. That righteousness that we're talking about, we won't have the fulfillment of that until we're in eternity. But a true disciple won't be sinless, but they'll wish that they were. But the battle inside will never go away. Well. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Look at this slide. Look at the next one. The problem isn't when you struggle. The problem is when you don't. Right? So, like, I had people come to me, like, Brother Marcus, I don't know if I'm saved. I just got sent to my, I've been struggling with this issue of this thing. The struggle is a good sign, man. That means the Holy Spirit's in you, wrestling with your flesh, telling you, Marcus, man, don't do that. Do this. Don't go, to go this way, not that way. When a person can sin and disobey God and just live in the flesh without conviction, without feeling bad, no, sorry, no remorse, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you, you do not have Christ. But when you feel convicted of sin, that's a good sign, man. See, gospel truth is never intended to only be believed. Gospel truth is intended to be obeyed. To be obeyed. Jesus said, if you love me keep my commandments. That should be our desire. So loving obedience to Jesus, it's it's, it's not legalism. It's not license. What is it? Look at this next slide. It's absolute liberty. It's freedom in Christ to be exactly who God has called you to be. John chapter 8 verse 36, therefore if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Truly free, really free, free indeed. And only Jesus can do that for you. He can free you from legalism, free you from license and from religion that's trying to perform to somehow earn favor with God. A religion that's trying to perform to somehow be good enough for God to receive us. You're free to do everything that pleases God. And you could have done none of that on your own. John 15, look at this in John 15, 4. I want you to notice this word abide over and over. Jesus is really hammering this point in. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, okay? So he who abides in me and I in him, what, what happens? Bears much fruit. He says, for without me, you could do nothing. What did we just say just a moment ago? Right? That you're free to do everything that pleases God. And you couldn't do any of that on your own before you knew him. All right? So as a believer, you're going to bear much fruit. For without him, you could do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not invite in me, in other words, the, un, the person who's not saved, they've not come to Christ for forgiveness of their sins. says, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified. What? That you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Jesus wants to make sure that we get... That word abide in the first 11 verses, chapter 15, that word abide is there 11 times. When you come to Christ by faith, you're grafted into the family of God, and it's permanent, and it's forever, and nothing will ever change that. And so what is Jesus talking about in these verses? He's saying true disciples choose to abide in Jesus. Real disciples will abide in Christ. They desire his, his life, his voice, his power, his spirit, his ways, his thoughts to permeate their life so that we can produce the greatest fruit possible, which wasn't even possible without him. The greatest proof that you're in Christ is that you want that true communion with God. That you want to dig into his words. That you want to be in his house praising him and serving his people. That you want to pray and intercede for other people. And you want your interest in finding ways to reach more people for Jesus. But here's what you've got to understand. Look at this next slide. God's not even a little bit interested in what you can do for him. He's interested in what he can do through you. That's a big difference. What you can do for God and what he can do through you. So this morning, maybe you're uh, you're, you're a Christian. You know that you're saved. You're a believer and, and and all of this. And you're sure of your faith. And I praise God for that. Isn't it time, though, that you fully surrender to God's will for your life? And you to stop striving to do things for God? And once and for all, really allow God to do things through you? Because that's what abiding looks like. Abiding is basically continuing in resting in christ see some of you you're christ followers you're jesus freaks but somewhere along the way you've picked up a load that's not yours and you're straining and you're trying and you're and you're 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 trying so hard and maybe the answer for you this morning is, it's time to abide instead of seeing what you can do for god see what god is interested in doing through you that's the power of god And some of you this morning, you're not a Jesus freak, you're a Jesus fake, man. And and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. But you need to understand this. Aren't you tired? Doesn't it get old? See, because you're you're a slave twice over. You're in double bondage. What do I mean by double bondage? Now, you're a slave to sin. Uh, Jesus told us that, that you're a slave to sin, so you're in bondage to your sin. You can't even help yourself. But now, but you're a fake. So you've been playing the Christian game. So not only you're a slave to sin, you're a slave to this persona that you've created. You put on the right face, you wear the right clothes, you do the right things, you, you have the right kinds of friends. And what you're doing is you're pretending to be something that you're not. It's exhausting, isn't it? We've all been there. You're a slave to sin and you're a slave to this false idol of yourself that you've set up in your mind. Isn't it time that you say yes to Jesus, to surrender your life to Christ instead of trying to do good things for God, and maybe he'll be happy with me? Maybe nobody will find out. If I do enough good things, people will actually think I am good. Isn't that exhausting? Maybe it's time for you to say yes to Jesus and see what he's interested in doing through you, because that's the only thing that'll work. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. God, I'm so grateful that we have the words of Jesus to show us how to live, what it means to be his followers, his disciples. God, help us at this moment to be and to surrender to who you've called us to be. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around. Be respectful of those around you, please. But this morning, there are some of you here this you know that you're saved. You know that you're forgiven, man, and I'm so grateful for that. I hope that this message has just solidified that you're as certain right now as ever before that you're a child of the King, and I'm grateful for that. And if that describes you this morning, what is our application prayer? How can we take this message, this scripture that we've read this morning, and apply it to our lives? Maybe this morning your prayer is simple. Maybe you've been striving in Jesus, and it's time to start abiding in Jesus. Maybe this morning it's time for you to realize and truly believe that God's not interested in what you can do for him. But you want to see what only God can do through you. Is that your prayer this morning? Would you slip your hand up all over, all over, all of us, all of us. Father God, uh, we, again, we're so grateful for your blessings. But God, I ask that you would forgive us when we come up so short of who you've called us to be. God, that when we try to do things of our own effort, our own strength without your power, God, that your children will rest in you. God, that we'll rest in the fact that you love us, that you've approved of us. God, thank you for redeeming us. But God, we want to see what only you can do through our lives. No more Marcus. We've had enough of that. What you can do in our lives. And God, we surrender it to you. And God, we ask for your help and your strength. It means everything. As we continue, those of you, uh, you don't know that you're saved, man. Every head bowed, right close for just a moment. You don't know that you're saved. You don't really know, man. And this message has really confirmed that in your heart. You, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you look up for just a second? You know, the Word of God, it's, it's amazing that God has given us the greatest gift imaginable, his son, Jesus, and that he offers it to us. Look at this in 1 John 5, 13. Again, the apostle John said, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, what? That you may know that you have everlasting life. Do you know this morning you can know? You can walk out of here certain, man. You can know that you know that you know. You can know that you have everlasting life. No more doubt, no more uncertainty. You can know so. How? Look at this verse, Acts 16, verse 30. This is the jailer and the apostles, but this, he asked this question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. What do I have to do? You got to believe. But it's not mental, is it? It's got to get from here to here. You have to have faith and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you have to believe that you're a sinner? And that your sin separates you from God. And that Christ came, born of a virgin, that he lived that perfect sinless life so he could be that perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to pay the price for your sin. And his death, burial, and resurrection, when you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection as an atonement, as the price for your salvation, you'll be forgiven, you'll be redeemed, you'll be saved forever. Eternally forgiven. Set free, man from dead religion, small legalism, and any desire to have a license to sin. Once and for all, know that you're saved. That's why you're here, isn't it? That's why you're here. Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know this moment is why you're here. God's got you here for this moment. He's so good to you. He loves you so much. Listen guys, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Those of you who've been grace, uh, at, at grace before, you know what's next. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Here's what I promise you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna single you out. I'm not gonna drag you forward. You've been here, you know that. You know it. But I wanna give you an opportunity to do business with God right here, right now. That's why you're here. To once and for all to know that you're forgiven. That you're saved. That you can be certain. So if you're here right now and it's simply like that song that we sang, or you want to say yes to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's your prayer right now. I just want to pray with you. Would you slip your hand up for just a second? God bless you. I see you. I see you. Who else? God bless you. Listen, right there in your seat. Once you pray a prayer like this, it's not a password, it's you just humbling yourself before God. Placing your faith in Christ. Simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, but Lord, I turned from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Oh God, all of me, I surrender to all of you. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. I want to promise you, according to the word of God, it says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you call on him? You guys look up what we've talked about this morning is following jesus and being obedient to jesus and how a sign of being a follower of jesus is the fact that we're obedient it's an evidence what's the first thing that jesus asks every new believer in him to do to be baptized to be baptized it's a step of obedience where you publicly identify with the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing he asked you to do. Now there are many people who have claimed to have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, yet something is keeping you from taking that step of obedience. I would encourage you to do it. You can come this morning. We'll schedule that time for you. Pray with you. Rejoice with you. Maybe you're here this morning. We had a, 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 some a, in the second service that came forward. One lady, uh, her baptism and salvation were out of whack she gotten baptized at some point in her life, but she recognized she got saved later. Listen, you have, in the New Testament, you get saved, then you get baptized. If you got baptized and you gave your heart to Christ sometimes later, you've never been baptized. You need to get that right. It's just an act of obedience, of following Jesus. Maybe you prayed this prayer some other point, some other time. You need to be obedient and follow Christ in believer's baptism. We'll schedule that for we rejoice with you, like so many others have come to do today. Maybe God is speaking to your heart about being a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is your church home. You know it and God's confirmed it. It's time to be obedient. If he's calling, be obedient. You come this morning and we'll celebrate with you. But the truth is, at a time of invitation like this, there's no way that I could know what's going on in your life. There's no way. But you know, God knows. God knows. God knows. I want to encourage you during this invitation to do business with God, however he's calling, however he's leading, to take that step to be a follower of Jesus and to walk in obedience. There may be somebody he's calling you to pray for. There may be some issue he's wanting to deal with you in your life. There may be some direction he's wanting you to go. Now is the time of surrender. Now is the time of yes. Now is the time to walk in obedience your good, good God. He loves you. He's done everything necessary to save you. You can trust him. Let's pray one more time. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. I pray your people to use it for their good and for your glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come, don't wait. In need of